the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Friday, December the 6th, 2019, in the year of our Lord. 25 days left in 2019. Wow. Today is December 6th, 1865, the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. It abolished slavery, as you probably know. was ratified as Georgia became the 27th state to endorse it. Today, in 1790, Congress decided to move. They moved to Philadelphia from New York. Later, of course, they would move to what we know as Washington, D.C. Today, in 1877, Thomas Edison made the first sound recording. He made it on a, um, on a machine that he called his phonograph machine. What do you think he said? <laughs> he said, Mary had a little lamb <laughs> and went on to... Quote, the little nursery rhyme. Mary had a little lamb. First thing ever recorded in in the U.S. today in 1877. Today in 1907, the worst mining disaster in U.S. history occurred. 362 men and boys died in a coal mine explosion in West Virginia. Today in 1917, Finland declared its independence from Russia. That was a good time to be distancing itself from Russia. 1917, Russia's Bolshevik Revolution. Today, in 1923, a presidential address was broadcast on radio for the first time. President Calvin Coolidge spoke to a joint session of Congress, and it was carried on the radio. Today, in 1973, House Minority Leader Gerald Ford was sworn in as vice president. He succeeded Spiro Agnew, who had some personal problems. Today, in 2007... President George W. Bush announced a plan to freeze interest rates on subprime mortgages. They were held by hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of homeowners in America. The economy was in the tank, as most of us remember. Today in 2017, President Donald Trump declared Jerusalem to be Israel's capital. He was defying warnings from Palestinians and others around the world. They said, you're going to destroy any hope for Mideast peace, as though they have been able to create peace in the Middle East. But everyone had a voice. Everyone had an opinion. Donald Trump had promised that he would move capital, or declare Jerusalem to be the capital and move our embassy. But that wasn't new because recent presidents have all promised to do that. He did it. Today, 2017. Well, Obama has closed a real estate deal. The economy is doing extremely well. He's bought another house. I think this is his third one. It's fine. I mean, I'm I'm a I believe in capitalism. I'm not a wealthy person by any stretch, but um, yeah, he bought a house now in Martha. He bought one in Chicago. He owns one, or he had one in Chicago. He he bought one in Washington D.C. Big house, beautiful home. It's a, about a mile from his old office there in the Oval Office. 
he said in one interview, I think it was within the last year, I was just passively watching a video, but he said, I can almost see the Oval Office from my new home. Anyway, you could make of that what you want, but he bought a new home now, I think it's a third one, $11.7 million on Martha's Vineyard. He could be close to the Kennedys there. The economy is doing extremely well. In fact, I've been reading, and I don't, I mean, I don't follow the economy because I follow the issues we talk about on this program with most of my time and research. And, but I, I mean, I follow the economy, but I don't like spend a lot of time researching it every day. But I've been seeing people, I mean, people that should know better, keep saying we're, we're going into a recession. We're slipping into a recession. And I see people running ads to buy their book and buy their whatever they're selling. A recession, a recession is, is looming. The bubble is going to pop. The Trump bubble is going to pop and on and on and on. Well, this imaginary recession of 2019 is definitely over. I can tell you that. The U.S. economy added 266,000 jobs for the month of November. That was announced this morning. The unemployment rate fell to 3.5%. It matched the lowest level of unemployment in 50 years. Economists had predicted, all of them, about the same amount. They had predicted that the economy would add 180,000 jobs in November for unemployment to remain unchanged at 3.6. But that didn't happen. 266,000 jobs in November, almost, well, not twice as much, but considerably more. Adding to the picture of strength, the labor market, previous jobs numbers were revised up. September's figures have now been revised up by 13,000 to 193,000. October was revised up by 28,000 to 156,000. That adds 41,000 more jobs than previously reported in the two preceding months, September, October. The jobs numbers stand in well, stark contradiction, I mean, honestly, to the National Employment Report. It was released yesterday, or day before yesterday, which saw U.S. employers adding 67,000. That was their, the government's expectation. Well, 266,000, not 67. I, I don't know. I've... I've thought about this. I, I don't honestly know. But do you think that some people hate Trump, hate conservatism? Maybe they hate Republicans. I don't know. Enough to hope that our economy tanks in America just to somehow get at a president they don't like? I don't know. But hiring in November was strong across the board. Manufacturing? It's been a source of a little bit of weakness in more recent reports. But, man, it came back strong. The health care added 45,000 jobs. Professional and technical services grew by 31,000. We're just talking about one month this November. Number of Americans working rose to 158,593,000. That's a record high. There's never been that many people in America working on any given month. That is the sixth consecutive record high for that measurement or that metric. The hourly wages went up a little bit. 
3.14% compared with last year. The um, I saw something else here. I thought, oh, yeah, the hourly, uh, average hourly uh, wages of the private sector production and non-supervisor employees rose by $0.07 cents a month. The average in those categories are, per hour wage is $23.83 an hour. Well, I wish I'd have been paid something like that when I was a kid growing up on the orchard. I remember what I got paid. I wouldn't even tell you. It would be embarrassing. But it seemed about right in those days. That was a while ago. But anyway, that's the world we live in. John Kerry made a statement this morning. He said, I support I support Joe Biden. Well, Joe Biden needs some support. I'm going to talk about him in a minute, just a little bit. But he said, I support Joe Biden. He said, together we're going to work. What is he going to be vice president or something? I don't know. But he said, together we're going to we're going to work together to put the world back together that Donald Trump has smashed apart. Now, what I just read, again, I'm not an economic guru. I mean, I don't know much about it, but I just know that you either have got a job or you don't have a job, and you're either making enough to make ends meet or you're not. And it looks like things are going pretty well in America. More blacks, more Hispanics are working than ever before. But anyway, John Kerry and Joe Biden are going to work together to uh, put America back together, kind of like the king's horses and the king's men who tried to put Humpty Dumpty back together again except Humpty Dumpty has not fallen off the wall. They think he has. They want him to. They want this to be broken. They want America to be in trouble. But it isn't in that regard, for sure. It's interesting. Gallup put out a poll or an article based on data, really. It wasn't just a poll. It was a kind of a... uh, It was drawing from several of their recent surveys... But the one of the leaders of Gallup organization put out this paper yesterday. It was titled U.S. Politically Polarized. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because we are politically polarized. But I think some of the solutions that these people are looking for, and I respect particularly Mr. Newport, the guy that wrote this article. I've seen him speak. I don't know him, but I've, I've maybe met him. I don't know. But anyway, he's an impressive guy. He's very smart. And he speaks at a lot of conventions and one thing or another. That's where I've seen him. But Gallup said yesterday that our society reflects deep partisanship. It's growing deeper, affecting most aspects of our society and defining our views on a wide range of aspects of our lives. I get the feeling that the the point of view of this article, and it would be the point of view of many in America, is that the politics of America is what's driving people to express themselves in the way that we're expressing ourselves. I don't get the feeling that Newport is trying to blame someone or something else for some of the crazy things that people do, but he's merely trying to take an intellectual position that maybe we're too partisan in our politics. But I want to I want to cut maybe a thinner slice on that and talk to you for a few minutes about some thoughts that I have, just little old me out here. I think think polarization is spilling over into our daily lives. There's no question about that. But I'm not sure that our allegiance to a political party is really the driver. I think Frank Newport thinks it is. 
And again, they're intellectuals. I understand that. But I was looking at the news just yesterday after we finished this program live, as you know, delayed in some places. But yesterday, a Republican representative in Arizona, he said, I'm I'm weary. He said, I'm sick and tired of the disrespect for our country and our flag. And he introduced a bill that makes the Pledge of Allegiance mandatory in public schools in the state of Arizona. And that was like like an explosion among the far left. Well, man, I'm not that old. And I remember we pledged allegiance to the flag every day. It wasn't a big deal. We did it just before we all took our seats and did our spelling or whatever. But all of a sudden now, this I mean, it's hand-wringing and it's how can he do this? This is so offensive to there are those among us who don't feel as we do about America and on and on and on. At the same time, Joe Biden yesterday in Iowa was swearing. He had a very small crowd. I don't know if they're all that small or not, but I mean, I didn't count them, but it, it's a small crowd he was talking to in Iowa. I, if that reflects, I know he looks to be doing well in the polls, but if that reflects the numbers that are supporting Joe, he may have a bigger problem than just forgetting and stumbling over words as he does so often, almost all the time. But anyway, he was speaking to this crowd and this guy stands up and he first thing he said, he said, I'm a Democrat. And he said, I've got a couple of questions. And Joe goes, yeah, yeah, you know, and now Joe. Anyway, this guy starts in on Biden. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that today. One of the things that we really focus on on this ministry is that people need to be informed. If you're a new listener, I want to assure you that I don't think I know everything or even much of anything sometimes, but we do a lot of research. I've spent my life in the ministry speaking to the public or speaking to people in small situations and very, very large situations, including the largest church in the world, 700,000 members, a number of times. I have learned a few things about people, and I seek to learn something from God's Word every day. From that perspective, we look at what's happening each day in our world and in our culture. And I come to this microphone every day with one motive, and that is to help or to inform somebody who maybe hasn't heard something that I've found out that I know. And that's what it's all about. If you're looking for a deeper meaning, you have found it. That's it. That's why we do what we do. There is no other reason. The underwriting reason is that I really feel in my heart that God has called me, nudged me to do this at this time in my life. I do it gladly. I'm honored that you listen. I'm honored that more and more people are listening. And I want to thank you for your support of what we're doing. Because I couldn't do what I feel God has called me to do at this point, this radio program, without you. If you support this ministry, thank you. If you don't, but you're thinking about it, we need your help. If you're a new listener, we need your help. This is how we meet our budget each month. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009.
The impact of increased political polarization. Frank Newport, a PhD, he's a Gallup senior scientist, the author of Polling Matters, Why Leaders Should Must Listen to the Wisdom of the People, and he wrote another book, which I read. I didn't read the one about the polling matters, but I read the other one, God is Alive and Well, and um, it was well said and well spoken. He's not a, I don't know if he's an evangelical or not, he, he must be a Christian, but his book is very good. God is alive and well. He talks about how religion is not dying in America based on all of the Gallup data that they had at the time. And he wrote that book, I don't know, it was a couple, two or three years ago, I think. But anyway, he came out with this article yesterday, The Impact of Increased Political Polarization. He says, hostility to the opposition party and its candidates has now reached a level where loathing motivates voters more than loyalty and anger has become the primary tool for motivating voters. Well, we're seeing this manifest every day. I mentioned Joe Biden. Let me just give you a, a tidbit of this. It actually did get into some of the mainstream media yesterday or last night. I was surprised. But anyway, the Daily Caller, that's something that Tucker Carlson, who's on Fox, he started this. I, I think he still owns it. I don't know. But anyway, the, the Daily Caller put this out uh, yesterday afternoon. It's a video. It says, watch Joe Biden's tense exchange with a voter in Iowa who accuses him of selling access to the White House with his son in Ukraine and being too old for the presidency. Well, that is kind of what this guy said. But the guy started out by saying, the citizen stood up and he said, I'm a Democrat. And then he proceeded to ask Biden about his son, Hunter, working for the Ukraine gas company, and etc. And we know that story. And about, he said he's getting all this money, 50, 80,000 a month, whatever it was. And he's getting paid lots of money, this guy said. He said, you've heard it all before. And um, he goes on. Well, the guy, I, I looked at, he got adversarial, this guy. He says he's a Democrat, so he's obviously supporting someone other than Joe Biden, or I would assume he is. But he didn't seem adversarial when he started. But he got a little upset. In fact, they were both angry. But Joe Biden just triggered. He just didn't like this. He didn't want to hear it. Well, I understand, because I hear things sometimes that I don't want to hear, too. But Biden turned around at this guy, put a video up. I wrote an article about this particular aspect of what we're talking about today. It's on faithandfreedom.us. And I put the video of this interchange on there. It, it's uh, it's interesting, to say the least. It will be taken down. I don't know how long it'll be available, but it'll be taken down because the media is not going to allow that to set out there and lots of people look at it and listen to it. They just won't do it. But um, anyway, this Biden turned on this guy. It was a small crowd, maybe a 100 people. I, I, I don't know, but not very many. But he turned on this guy and he says, you're a blank liar man he said that's not true and no one ever said that the voter this older guy is kind of a little bit stocky heavy set like some older people get sometimes you know anyway he said i i see it on tv and biden responded and he said in regards to how fit i am as president he said let's hit the floor and do push-ups and we'll see who you know and on and on, and on. he's just railing on this guy and the voter said well i didn't say you did anything wrong and Biden said, you said I set up my son to work at an oil company. Well, he didn't say an oil company. He said a gas company, which it is. But anyway, Biden said, isn't that what you said? Get your words straight, Jack. Actually, the voter did have his words straight. But anyway, he said, where are you hearing this? Biden said. And the voter said, 
That's what I hear on MSNBC. Biden just yelled back at him and he said, you don't hear that on MSNBC. And the voter then started getting a little adversarial. He said, the blank, I do, and on and on and on. That is, I think, what Newport is talking about, and that's just an example from yesterday. Another example in a more restrained, more appropriate way, but another expression of frustration, I'll just call it Fillmore's frustration. Yesterday, Arizona State Representative John Fillmore introduced a bill. This is not U.S. Congress. This is the state. He introduced a bill that will require all students in Arizona to say the Pledge of Allegiance each day in all the public classrooms. The bill allows parents to exempt their children, and that's key, if they choose to do so. In other words, they write a note to the teacher and say, my kid doesn't have to stand up and pledge allegiance, so the kid doesn't have to do it. But the bill also mandates that public schools acquire American-made flags to be displayed in every classroom and elsewhere, other appropriate places on the campus. And the bill, should it become law, requires that a legible copy of the Constitution of the United States and Bill of Rights manufactured in the U.S., not printed elsewhere, he says, in this bill, be placed near the U.S. flag in each classroom. So why is this public servant doing this? Well, he's sick and tired of people trashing our flag, our Constitution, and our country. I was thinking about this. In 1943, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that schools could not force students to salute the flag or say the pledge. However, and I know I don't, I don't know this Representative John Fillmore. I'm, I, I'm liking him a lot, but I, I don't know him. I have never heard of him until yesterday, last night when I was reading this. But he's certainly aware of this because I am. In 43, the U.S. Supreme Court said schools couldn't do this. But in recent years, courts have disagreed. Not all courts are are disagreeing, but some have disagreed. A number of them have disagreed on whether requiring written exemptions from parents actually amounts to forcing students to participate. They're saying if there's a caveat there, an option for parents to opt out their kids, then it isn't compulsory. And it doesn't come under the 1943 U.S. Supreme Court ruling. And it doesn't meet the standard of forcing students to participate. It's something we do in our school every day. We stand and pledge allegiance to the flag, the United States of America, to the Republic, so on. So you're not forcing them if they have an option not to do it. Well, we'll see what happens on that. And again, it's one state, but it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But those are two examples from yesterday that reflect the deep polarization in our country. But it's a, it's about more than a donkey and an elephant trying to stare down one another. It's more than that. It's about two competing political ideologies. It's about deeply held beliefs. John Adams, our second president, said, statesman, My dear sir, may plan and speculate for liberty, but it is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. I'm not suggesting that the left doesn't want freedom. I think they want freedom to do whatever they want. They want to be a law unto themselves. The very things that they accuse Trump and most all of the conservative Republicans, the very things that they accuse them of are the things they're doing. Someone said yesterday, it wasn't Lindsey Graham, but somebody like that, some 
body of some substance and influence, said, honestly, if we're going to impeach Trump, then Joe Biden is already impeached because he's actually doing what the left is accusing Trump of doing, but there's no proof that he did it. That's true. So I don't know what's in the minds of the left. I have an idea. But John Adams continued. He became our second president, as you know. He continued reminding his fellow Americans that they may change their rulers and the forms of government. I'm quoting him, but they will not obtain a lasting liberty, quote, if they forsake the founding principles. And that's what we're looking at here today. What kind of principles do we want to be dominant in our in our culture? Do we really want to be a multicultural nation which will become nothing in the end? It'll be nothing. It will stand for nothing. It will be nothing. It will represent nothing except a bunch of clusters of people who all came here to get something free. I mean, honestly, I know there's some that come here for a better life, but that's not the dominant motivation from what I can see, and I see a lot. I pay attention to those things. John Adams' son, John Quincy Adams, also a president later on, he said the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government with the principles of Christianity. And he said, from the day of the Declaration, they, the American people he was talking about, this is John Quincy, the son of John Adams, he said, the American people were bound by the laws of God, which they all, and by the laws of the gospel, which they nearly all, acknowledge as the rules of their conduct. What John Quincy was saying, the son who had been raised by a dad who believed what I just quoted and much more, he's saying that not everybody believes in Christianity, but we believe in the principles. We believe they are the binding principles that could give this country success. And they were already seeing signs of that back in John Quincy's day, the results of his father and Ben Franklin and Jefferson and George Washington, all those guys that put the thing together. James Madison said, he said, we stake the whole future of American civilization, not upon the power of government, far from it. We've staked the future of all of our political institutions upon the capacity of each and all of us to govern ourselves, to control ourselves, to sustain ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. That's what this country is about. And yet the very people who are polarizing this country, and now Nancy Pelosi was saying this morning, she said, I have a firm reliance on prayer regarding this impeachment. And she said, we are counting on divine providence to lead us to impeaching Donald Trump. So while they claim the words of the founders, they are living in absolute contrast and opposition to what the words of the, of the founders of this nation actually meant and how they defined a nation that would become the greatest nation in the history of the world. She has a firm reliance on prayer and is looking to God to give them success in impeaching a president who really hasn't done what they're accusing him of doing. It's an, it's an amazing time in which we live. You know what the favorite verse of 2018 was, or 2019, according to a, a survey? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
We live in a really screwed up society and culture today, but I got to tell you something. God is in control. Don't let yourself get stressed. God's in control. Have a great weekend. I'll see you right here, live on Monday.